Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. On this episode of Better at Work, you're going to hear from the amazing Floyd Woodrow. Now, Floyd and I chatted lots and he shared some amazing insights to his career in the military and his journey as a leadership coach. He's one of the top leadership coaches in the world. He's got an amazing framework that he uses called Compass for Life. He and I chat through that and he gives me some really great insights and simple things we can all be doing to reach our North Star. And we talked about school and how to make schools better. It's a great chat. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Floyd, to Better at Work. Cathal, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to speak to you. So we will get into the Compass for Life shortly. But can I ask, where did your passion for leadership come from? Where where do you think it, it began, Floyd? I think actually it began when I was really young. Um, I was really fortunate. I have a great mother and father um, and Sally passed away. Like my mum was massively entrepreneurial and um, she ran the first nightclub in Bradford. Wow. Um, um, I, I also, what I loved is she also was way ahead of her time. She did a number of different jobs. Um, she was certainly the leader in our family, I would say, without a doubt. And even when they, they were coming, my mum and dad were coming to um, their early 60s, my mum had a dream to go and run a, a pub. Um, she always wanted to run a pub, having um, sort of worked for other people. And so we moved to the Channel Islands. And so wow. my mum was, again, I, she had me when she was quite late, 65, um, just literally uprooted, took the whole family across and uh, started to run another business, um, which, was for, which was her dream. And I always admire her for that, just thinking at the end of the day, she's always followed um, her passions whilst obviously looking after children. My dad was slightly different. And my dad was um, worked in the wholesale fruit and veg market. He was a brilliant salesman. And I worked with my dad from when I was about 11, 12, 12 years of age. And I learned an awful lot on negotiating, on communicating. And also he was immensely disciplined up really early in the morning, would work late, um, very focused. Um, but there was a difference between the two. Dad was, um, was definitely the more, um, how can I put it? It would probably be the the one that would let us win. So dad would always let us win, whereas my mum would never let us win. There's a really interesting dynamic between the two. And that competitive edge, I think, certainly came from my mum. My dad would definitely try to let us win just to give us a a little bit of confidence. So it's quite a good mix. I love that. And uh, it's funny, uh, it sounds like you obviously love leadership. And uh, we have a phrase in Ireland, you didn't lick it off the rocks, is what we would say. Um, You you obviously uh, picked it up from uh, both sides, uh, mum and dad. I have a quick question, though. Did your mum enjoy having the pub? Oh, she loved it. It was uh, honestly, it was one of the perfect perfect moments in time. She just realized all the work she'd done working for lots of the people, business. Um, it was a great community as well. It was a really small, it's a small island actually just off the coast of France. 
um, but very, very busy in the summer. And no, she had a really great couple of years there. So she really enjoyed it. It was, as I said, one of those things where you would, she's dreamt of it. She's always wanted it, always pursued it. And then she took the opportunity. Amazing. I love that. Now, our podcast is called Better at Work. And actually, the tagline we have is when work is better, life is better. I'm a firm believer in that. I think when work is bad, life is really miserable. Um, now, I saw you recently shared a great quote that I love. You said, a master in the art of living draws no sharp distinction between their work and their play, their labor and their leisure, their mind and their body, their education and their recreation. They hardly know which is which. They simply pursue their vision of excellence through whatever they are doing and leave others to determine whether they are working or playing. To themselves, they always appear to be doing both. I'd love to just get your thought. You obviously share that quote. I love it. Um, maybe just tell our listeners a little bit about that quote and and your thoughts on work and life fulfillment because uh, it sounds like it's something that uh, that you've got a lot of interest in too i've got an enormous passion in this um because for that reason is I, I always look at it when i ask anybody on their journey and i talk about life as a journey i think that's the most important thing every culture in the world will talk about going on a journey um where you leave home you come across a group you um, go through adversity you learn a lot of skills, success, failure comes along those that journey, and then you give back to society, which I think ultimately that's going to be a pretty good journey. Because for me, it's always about adventure and experiences that what's going to make you the best version of yourself is actually exploring those themes, finding about what you love, what motivates you, what you're passionate about. And I've been really lucky. Um, so I've always gone into jobs, which I would literally, and I, and I I mean this, even though I like to be paid, is I would do most of these jobs for free um, because I joined the military. It was the perfect job for me. I never even knew what I got paid. Um, I could honestly say, if you said to me, what was your payment? I go, I get paid more than enough to do what I'm doing. And if I'd won the lottery, I can honestly say I would never have left the military until the time that I chose to leave the military. That's because it gave me all the things I needed. Adventure, it allowed me to grow and have knowledge. I Learned to, I learned languages, I learned how to fly a plane, I learned how to be a paramed. I went and I traveled the world doing lots of different things. I was also involved in things where you were helping people. So peacekeeping mm -hmm. for me is a major um, key aspect of the work that I did. And I think people again forget soldiers and we can see today in the activities that are happening, happening in Europe, it is about fighting for people's rights. It is about protecting people and realizing that that's why you have soldiers. Don't think they're just there to fight. They are there to protect. And I think it's a really great, as, a, and as an aside, a realization again, that the world's a fragile place. And sadly, there are some very dark people that can, can switch what we think a perfect life is in a moment. So I think it's really important to, to have that as a, a premise. Plus, um, I was involved in in, in um, arresting war criminals. I've been involved in doing things where you brought people to justice, which I think again is a, a it's a great it's a vocation. And then when I decided that I wasn't growing and I wanted to go into business, I wanted to see how good I could be in a different environment. And I, I run a number of companies as well. What I've found um, from that is also doing things where I'm growing and learning, um, which is why leadership development and coaching is my number one love. I do some things which are pure work. So I work in the fintech space. I work with media and some other elements. That to me is, although I love what I'm doing, I have a great team and I enjoy the learning of those things. 
that is like work. I, I do that. It's not where I'm naturally talented. I've got people that are much better than me, but my love is coaching and development. So I've got a nice mix between the two and I kind of stray into working. I work with five-year-old children. I work with top business leaders, sports teams. That's my love. And again, I would literally do that for free. So because I can see the impact that you have. And, and that's why I talk about work and that balance is that I look at it from a perspective of, I take time out, so it's not as if I'm working 24-7, but yeah. I will work quite a lot in between those times. So I make sure I've got time to recharge and have energy. I do my, my training, and I'll do lots of other activities, but I don't then think I'm not going to work now. I finish at five. I kind of will be doing other things in the evening, which is where I can dip into my other adventures and hobbies. Well, it's amazing. And I think that's why I love that quote that you shared. And, um, you know, I think that's the nirvana for a lot of people, isn't it? You know, that you find something that you enjoy doing. You don't even worry. And I feel the same. I get it. Uh, you know, even my lovely producer here, Darcy, he knows that I love talking about business or how to make things better. I've, I drive him crazy. We finish most recordings with a, an hour of chatting about things like that as well. So it, and I just get an, a dopamine hit from it, which is, which is great. And, uh, you know, I, I love to hear that. But you can see that, Cathal. Mm. You can see that. I can see that in you. The minute we started talking this morning and what I always say to people, the first thing I look for is, do you come alive when you tell me what you're doing yeah. and because you shine straight away, you smile, you're great, your mind goes off into connecting bits. It's just a given that this is the right space for you. And that's why I always say to people, if you don't come alive on your journey, then I would question, I would think about what you're doing uh, because why would you not come alive on your journey? It's so funny because I actually have a question for you on that and I might skip down to it because um, I, I there's a quote I share with people in the workplace a lot. I, I get a lot of people ringing me and asking me, hey, I've got this problem at work or I hate my job and, you know, and I, I love helping people with that because I hate to see people not happy, right? Because, you know, life is so short, as you said. Now, there's a, there's a guy, um, an entrepreneur, and investor, you might have heard of him, Sam Altman. He uh, says some of the best advice he ever received was if you can't figure out what kind of work you like, pay attention to what's easy to concentrate on and gives you energy versus what makes you tune out and feel tired. It's so true, right? Because when it's, I'm at work, if someone gives me a spreadsheet to go through for three hours, I'm like, okay, this is not good. But if they give me a problem where this this team is not performing well, I'm like, where are they? What do we need to do? So I don't know that that's a, where do you get your, it sounds like you'll get your energy from um, really the leadership side, but you know, in terms of other spaces, where else do you get your energy from? One of the best places is with children. So I work with, uh, when I do the program, when we talk about compass, I yes. don't have to change the program so that I, it's identical to whether I'm working with children and um, whether I'm working with leaders. And to be honest, it doesn't matter the area. What I love to see is just somebody get how talented they are, get them to understand how to communicate better, mm. get them to understand how they can bring people with them. That I, It doesn't matter where I am or what space or what country. As long as I'm doing that, um, I get a buzz. And I'm fortunate because, I, as I said, I work across so many different spectrums. I get to meet so many different people that it just allows me to have that um, – uh, a sort of a deeper understanding of what I think it, what I think people need to unlock themselves, unlock the team, unlock the organization. And generally, I just ask questions. I don't. I'm not 
prescript. I don't say, I think you need to do yeah. this. I will ask a question. And the result of that question will be obvious about what they want to do, where they need to go, what they need to do. And that's where I'm jealous of you because I would love, I mean, I've always done it in financial services and those kind of organizations. So, um, and I, I have a question about the schools bit because I'm like, I want to hear more about this because uh, I want to hear about that transferable skill that you've used in different organizations. But we are going to talk about the Compass for Life because I really would love our listeners to hear more about it. And and look, I'm one of those people, I have loads of books. I love reading about different ways to make work better, behavioral science. I'm a geek for behavioral science. Um, and I get a lot of people, I actually had a, uh, someone uh, at the weekend say to me, Carl, like, you know, there's so many frameworks out there. How do you remember which one to use? Which I honestly find the same. Sometimes I go, do I use a bit of James Clear here? Do I use this? Do I use that? That's why I really like your compass for life. And I followed it for a while. I feel it brings a lot of things together. Um, can you share for our listeners why you developed it and how it helps people find their kind of what you call super North Star? Yeah, I, and actually, I was in agreement with you when I came out and wanted to learn more about leadership. And obviously, I had a, a good depth in the military, although I'd started to also develop working with other groups. So I had a, a realization you need to adapt leadership styles and capabilities and thoughts. I then did a lot of psychology. So I'm the same as you. I love neuroscience. I love working with behavioral scientists and listening to what they say, but also then to make it make sense. So the key thing for me is, is I love everything that's out there, but don't be theoretical. Yes. Don't try and come out of a book. You have to make this come alive. You have to make this come where I can speak to a child or an adult and go, look, the science is really clear, but if you looked at it from this perspective and make it simple, and I think simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that I agree. A th I could really, you and I could spend weeks talking about, oh, do you remember him? Oh, do you remember what she did? This is brilliant. But how do you remember them all? How do I, when I want them really quickly, and this is about being consistently good, I need speed of thought. So what I was looking at, and it took me a long time, I kept on going through years of this going, I, I'm kind of nearly there, but I'm not there. There's something missing. I can always make sure audiences leave with practical tools to use but it wasn't quite good enough. And then one day I was in my office and I'm going, right, I always talk about a North Star. So the North point on a compass, it always points North. That to me is about where you want to be in the next three, five or 10 years. It can be as big as you want to change the world to as small as you want to play the piano. The key is it takes you forward on a journey of adventure and discovery. And then you will learn the skills that you need in life. So that's moving forward. And again, the research behind having high aspiration, having dreams and having a desire is really clear. It can transform individuals, teams, and organizations. And so I put that on the board. I said, I always talk about having a North, a direction. And then I thought to get there, you've got to have a strategy. So and that's about logic. And I'm a great believer. I love big super North stars, but now facts, figures, detail, how are you going to get there? Break it down, no emotion. And I'm really clear. Don't want emotion on this. Just tell me what the logical steps need to be. You will make the final decision based on emotion, but ultimately I need the steps. I need to understand you've got the detail, but you've got wisdom, common sense, and judgment to apply that information correctly. Far too often today, we're inundated with information and data that is not correct or it's not what you need. So you use wisdom to, to analyze that. And so I put that down. And then I've always spoken about being a warrior. 
I think you've got to have resilience. You've got to have skill sets and resilience. What I mean by this is strength of character, though. I do not mean that you are big and tough. I just mean you're willing to fight to get to the milestones that you set yourself. Malala, Malala has a brilliant statement, and she says, we were scared, but our fear was not as strong as our courage. And I love that. I go, of course, that's a little girl who's now, you know, doesn't matter the size, but what she's got is courage. And that's resilience. And that's mental and physical resilience based on skill sets as well. You can have all of those. Without the right skill sets, it's not going to work either. Warrior. And then I say, but there's something missing here. And then I just put, I love the word ethos. I always have done. And mm. I put an E on a board. And I just went, oh, it's a compass. And the minute I went, it's a compass. Everything just came to you. I went, ah, oh, so every, and all the leadership models I've ever, I've ever come across to date, I can fit under a cardinal. I can look at, you look at Kobe who says, start with the end in mind, super North star, sharpen your saw, warrior. So I literally now can now, I just feed all the brilliant bits of work. I can look at Caldini, ethos, powers of influence, definitely about communication, but Lencioni, teamwork, ethos. So I can now start to build out. I can go really deep on the compass or I can just do an overlay. And therefore, you can use the compass from, as I said, I'm changing the world to I'm playing the piano. I can just scale it up or down, but I'm asked the same questions. How big is that vision? Describe, visualize it and make it massive. So I talk about being scared. Any visualization, you should go, it's a bit scary. And then yeah. it's at the right height. That's how, and so all the framework does, it allows you to put all, I don't try and say anything's wrong or to change anybody's view of the world, but all I'll say is if you have this as a gateway model, you will fit all the other key tools underneath it. And therefore you can think quickly. So I can walk into any situation and, and coldly go, and I'll just think in those four areas, is, do I have the answers? If not, where are the gaps? And then if I start to really scale it up, I can, so yesterday I was working uh, in France with a French American company with a multitude of different people and we did a super North star. So I got them all to then think about that was over a couple of days, right? What is our super North star? Then what is the strategy? How are we mm -hmm. going to behave our values and what do we need to do in terms of, so we it's went so through their, their compass. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so simple, but so great, right? So you started with them. You were like, okay, where do you want to be as a company? Then you went to South. What's the strategy? You know, what, what's the strategy to get there? How did it go then yesterday in France? Did they, did they respond well? I will give you um, a, an email that just came in from a guy called Alexandra. And he just said, um, and I, I talk about being a number one team. Remember, I just mentioned that earlier. And he went, we are now a number one team. We are pioneers in the digital revolution. We are, and it was a really clear view of what they came up with, with what they wanted to do. This is our strategy. And he said, I'm proud of all the people that were there because the relationships, the discussions, the support and the challenge that came from the two days, because I don't do fluff on this. It's a really clear thing. I, I will always care, but I also want, I want to know that's going to work because I don't want to work in a group that are just coming out with lots of different wonderful statements and mm -hmm. then they're not being honest with one another or authentic. Yeah. So one of the things I did with them, I made sure that as a group, they were really clear on what were the strengths of this group and what were the areas that they needed to grow in. And so really good challenging conversations, honest and open, and people had to then say to everybody, think you're wonderful in this area. 
I think if you were going to grow, it would be in this area. And of course, those are great conversations for a number one team to have because why would you not do that? It's just good feedback. And of course, it's done with a with a view of with a view of we're about to go and win. And of course, elite teams you can't win by yourself. I've never seen anybody anybody get to the top of their profession without a team. So that doesn't happen. So how do we make sure we accelerate it? And of course, this is the key thing, Kafal, for me is I'm not waiting five years for you to get to know each other. I don't have time to yeah. do that. The world's changed. What I want to do is accelerate it because we're going to take that leap of faith. And then if somebody doesn't want to be on this journey, that's fine. Different journey. But this team's going here. Yes. And you can self-evict if, if you don't want to be part of that journey of, of, what, of where they want to get to. I often read that you say it's it's about being better um, this week than maybe last week, right? It's that's that's your whole ethos, which is it's kind of very similar to my own. I just love us to be a little bit better than we were yesterday. Any teams I've managed over the years, from large teams in operations to strategy and transformation teams, I'm like, how can we be better than last year? What can we do differently this year? It's just, and it's, it's good. I think a leader has to have a bit of that. Now I was going to ask you, what do you think gets in the way of organizations reaching their full potential? Is it, is it not having a purpose? Is it not having a strategy? Is it not tracking the milestones? I have my own view, but what gets in the way, do you think, of organizations reaching their full potential? I think of the first one is a clear purpose that everybody understands. The first thing I say to any group is I say, right, um, I, I get them to stand up. I say, just stand up, close your eyes and point towards north, just point to where you think north is. And of course, as you can imagine, everybody points in a slightly different direction. Mm. And I say, open your eyes. And of course, we're all pointing a different direction. I'll point out where north is. And then I say, that's because you're all on a different journey. So everybody in this room, you're on a different journey through life. Let's be clear. But whilst you're together, you need to be pointing in the same direction. Do you point in the same direction? And then I ask a question and I talk about having a super, I've gone through a number of different things, themes before this, but eventually I go super North star. I need to know we're pointing in the same direction. So if I isolate all of you and I say, what's the super North star of this organization, this company, do you think you'll say the same thing? And it's rare that that's a super clear story. It might be. And I said to one guy, I'll give you a really great example here. He said, um, I want us to be a billion dollar company. I said, no, that's a target. So that's a target. What's the super North star? And I was called in to help this group. They were in a really difficult situation. And he said, I said, and he, he was stopping on targets. I need to hit. And I went, right, no. It's a target that you get when you have nailed all these other great things. What's your super North star? And so I actually thought this is going to be a nightmare. I've got a really difficult talk because I could not get him away from financial um, t targets. So then he said, he said, I want to change the world. He said, what I want to do is make sure that people's identity are protected, that no matter where you go, your money's... And of course, he came out with like the most wondrous purpose. It's like, and I'm listening to him and I just went, I join your company. I said, that is exactly what to, to transform society, to give everybody an identity, to protect their money, to be able to make sure every transaction is secure. It, it, it was absolutely spot on. I went, right. How many of your team know that? Nobody. I went, right. What I want you to do is I want you to go into the room. I want you to go, these, now these are 15 VPs from around the world. 
and this is um, a financial institution. So you know the kind of mentality that you've got in this organization. I could write a book on it. He probably. went in. <laughs> <laughs> he went in and he said exactly that. Look, I, I haven't done this before. He said, "I want you to tell you why I am. Why I believe in what we're doing." And he just went through three, including two men and a woman, cried. And then the whole organization just went, why, why did you not, why are you always on about numbers? Why are you always on about metrics? We know what that, that actually is where we can get to and we'll hit all these numbers. But because you keep hammering us on numbers, it means we just lose sight. We end up getting worried about, we must hit these numbers rather than yes. what are we actually doing? How are we connecting to customers? How are we making that happen? And I would say that's probably my key one to start with. You've got to have something that's bigger than yourself now. You've got to have something that you want the world to be. You've got to have something that's going to connect to take things forward. And that's the same thing when I talk to teachers. It's interesting. I'm going to digress one, one small thing to go into a different area, if I may, because it's a very similar thing. Is I worked with a lot of teachers the other day. I mean, a lot of teachers. We're talking over 300. And they asked the question, why are you teaching? Why, why do you teach? Every single one spoke about the development of the child, changing society, helping disadvantaged children. It was absolutely clear. So I said, why are we just talking about metrics? You've done five, you want to get them to have five A to Cs. Not one of you have said anything to do with metrics. I said, because they'll come. If I capture a child's passion, and this is why the compass works with kids. So when I do the compass, in fact, I will do this with you. I will get you to come and see um, me working in a number of different environments. I will def we'll definitely look at doing this. But what, what the key is, is I don't change what I say to children. If you saw me speak to children, it would be almost identical to what I talk to with CEOs. And their answers are phenomenal. I mean, they come up with all of this. And, and every child I've ever come across has a super North Star. So once you can connect to somebody's purpose, I now can make it challenging. If you say to me, I want us to be the best in this area. I want us to be um, pioneers. I want us to be great. Because now I can challenge you because those are really tangible things. Money is just a, a metric that will come if you're good. And if you're not good, you won't get there anyway. So therefore, what are we doing in those areas? And those would be my challenges. Strategy, I can talk a lot about strategy because sometimes, and the key thing is, is the ability to have a strategy that's going to be impactful and tested, but it's about a leader stepping back. I sometimes tell a story about being behind enemy lines. And I say, we're under fire. We've got a wounded man. We go into a defensive position, but the leader takes a step back. The leader takes a step back to think about what needs to happen, to make a plan, to ask advice, even on the battlefield, so that they get the information and then they communicate the plan to the team. And that's what leaders do is they step back. They're not into day-to-day, week-to-week stuff. Otherwise, you'll just lose track of where you are. Those are the two key ones. Third one, obviously, values. Lack of culture, laminated values, values that are on the wall that they don't even remember what they are, and therefore they don't have a clear understanding of what these words mean. And of course, loads of intent. I intend to do it. We're going to do it. No action. So there's a bit of everything usually, but my top one is always Super North Star. If you don't know where you're going. And it's not about being good. Some of these organizations are good, but I keep saying, look, I wouldn't be here if you weren't good. But being elite, it means you're good on your worst day. Being good means once you drop below good, you're bad. So I just think there's a, an element of, of how you frame that. I think there's some great nuggets there for our listeners. 
you talked about leaders there and I, I have another question that, um, uh, you know, I think managers and um, they can't do it all, right? There's actually a lot. And I want to ask you a question because I've seen this in, in the last few years, even in my roles of in, in big corporates. Harvard Business Review have actually brought out, they said managers can't do it all. It's time to reinvent their role for the new world of work. And they they asked um, executives, this is just recent, they, they asked executives from 60 companies around the world how their managers were doing. And we got unanimous reports of frustration and exhaustion. Um, Similarly, um, Gartner asked uh, 75 HR leaders from companies worldwide how their managers were faring. 68% reported they were overwhelmed. Nonetheless, according to Gartner, only 14% of those companies had taken steps to help alleviate their managers' burdens. Have you been seeing this in your uh, uh, travels around uh, the world uh, recently, Floyd? Uh, I mean, I, I certainly have. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Uh, no, I think it's really clear. Uh, and again, uh, what this, what's required at all these levels um, and is you've got to educate, you've got to yes. coach, you've got to train, yes. you've got to give people the skill sets. Yeah. The key thing for me is and I, 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 in any environment I work in, I work on three principles any environment is that you've got to give the people the skill sets that they require otherwise do not expect them to do well in that job why you know none of us learn walk in and we're genetically coded to, to be brilliant it just doesn't happen i am not the most talented in so many areas but i'm good at learning and i'm good at practicing and i'm good at getting better um, so that's my skill set but i need to know what skills do you want me to do the minute you're in, ch- in charge of man I, i've got a bit of a hang up with the word management so i'll just if, if you don't mind i don't like the word management it's just it's still i just get a bit tweaked with it and what i mean by that is that of course i understand process and you're managing systems and things of that nature but i still want you to be a leader i still want people not to lose sight of that's still leading Whatever you're doing, don't, and it's not about, and again, this, people get hung up by the word leader, that the CEO is the leader. The CEO is not the leader. You need to have that all the way through. And I always say that everybody needs to be a leader. You've got to lead yourself yeah. and you'll never get anything done without people. So you've got to connect. So that is still leadership. So don't lose sight of that. And therefore, that's a skill set that you need to understand. I can sit, think back to the, all of the mistakes that I have made in leadership and some of the disasters that I've done because I wasn't taught to lead. I kind of went through leadership positions. I learned through experience. I made through mistakes through experience. And then when I started to really learn and get the theory and understand what I'm particularly good at, but what I'm not good at, it allows me to adapt my my ability to lead and also to communicate. The ability to adapt your communication is massively important because one style of communicating does not fit all. So you've got to learn how to adapt and listen to why you need to adapt. So listening to people is obviously the best communication skill. So skill set. Then put the skill set under a bit of pressure, but whilst you're still coaching. So you're still making sure I'm going to ramp this up a little bit with coaching and still, but I'm not going to be there all the time. I'm giving you that trust to develop and then be empowered. And then I test. Then it's now you do the job. That, that's you. Now lead. Now make the decisions. This is your parameters. That's where real empowerment comes from. Because I also say to leaders, if you aren't on the phone checking on any of your departments, you've got the wrong person in that department. You've got the wrong leader. Because if I can't step away and I'm thinking about doing everybody else's job, time goes. Time is the most precious commodity in the world. Can't buy it, give it away or save it. 
maximizing time for me is the key as a leader. I want space to think, to be creative, to lead, to direct. If I have to drop down, and again, I'm really clear on this, that's not a great place because I'm expecting that leaders beneath me are leading, but they cannot do that if they've not been trained. And we do not train people well enough still. And you mentioned there even earlier a little bit about how if leaders are stuck in day to day work, that is a challenge as well, if they don't have the time to step back. And uh, that Harvard Business Review article that I mentioned, um, they mentioned that uh, here in Australia, um, Telstra, I don't know if you've heard of Telstra, they're a big telecommunications company here. They employ about 32,000 people. They've made perhaps the boldest move. They've split the role of the leader into and created two distinct roles, leader of people and leader of work. And they've said, with very few exceptions, this new model applies across the entire organizations. Leader of people ensures that the employees in their chapters have the skills and capabilities to meet the current and future needs of the business. Leaders of work focus on the flow of work and the commercial imperatives of the business. And it is, it's like, now I need to do some more research into it myself. It is a big change. And there's been a lot of talk about it here in Australia um, because it's, it's a big shift and and they're basically saying they recognize that they're asking too much of these middle level managers is too much on them. And there needs to be a focus on the people side um, because it's sometimes they're getting caught up in the work side. What do you think on that one? I'm interested in, again, who has the lead in those areas. So where I would be, um, what I would definitely need to see is, so who is the leader in the sense of between the two, because mm -hmm. you can't have two leaders. I don't agree with two leaders. I want a leader. I'm not saying you don't have a specialist in that particular field, but I kind of still want to know. So who has the lead when we're moving forward? Because you've definitely got some, there are, there are definitely some areas where we could have conflict. So you need to be clear on what that looks like. Um, so I, I, so but, but I, what I would say is, as with all of these things, as long as you've got clarity of who's doing what, role, clear roles and responsibilities, one leader making the ultimate decision, because it's not about consensus or democracy. It's about somebody's got to make that final decision um, and the clarity of what those roles look like. Then I, I, I'm, I'm not going to take issue with it at all. I think as I would be the same. I kind of just want to know, I want to see the working model yes. and see where all the positives are. And then anything that I look at and think, oh, that's going to be an interesting discussion, how they do that. So as long as you've got those things clear, um, it would be interesting. Yeah. And because I, I, you often do hear, right, uh, I've found this as well uh, in corporate, you go, who's got the D here? Who's got the decision rights here? <laughs> right. If you don't have that clarity, it's really tricky. And I am a big fan of who, what, when, who's doing what by when, <laughs> because if it's multiple people and, and you oh, have no, con gosh. no, it, it kills me. Um, because then it's like people walk out of a room and you're like, Okay, who who's actually, do we know who's doing anything here? Or, oh, no, we've got to go to Tony because Tony's in charge of that workforce. That's a diff, that kills my soul, I have to say. But uh, I could I could probably have a whole other podcast with you on that. Cathal, yesterday, um, before they left the room, um, where they had a clear set of action points. And my first, my first statement was, one person is responsible mm -hmm. for everything. You can have as many people as you want to help you but I'm not bothered about that. The only person I'm coming to is, have you delivered on that job? It's simple, just I'm the same. And also there is a date stamp to that. <clears throat> when will you have that back in front of me by? And then we're clear. And then, and then that's where 
you know, it's just a clear, it's a simple thing, isn't it? All you have to do then is what you said you were going to do. I want, need to come back and check. Exactly. Great. Bring it in on that day. Exactly. Now, the last few years, I think, has been very hard on a lot of people in all leadership roles, um, you know, trying to, you know, COVID, et cetera. And I think it's really tested their resilience. Do you, are you a believer, because obviously you've had your army career, et cetera, and some, for, for some of us, that would be perceived as a very, you know, don't show emotion. Don't, you know, you got to show your, you're across everything all the time. But what do you think about leaders who show vulnerability when they're struggling maybe with their own resilience? Is that something, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're, you're a human being and therefore uh, what I love is, and it's something I learned um, probably in my mid to late 20s, which was fortunate. The ability to say I'm scared for mm-hmm. me is, was liberating because, again, I, I lived in a very, very dominated you know, alpha male um, environment where if you would suggest that, then mm, it would be quite, it'd be interesting to see how people would have taken it. Or actually how I would have expressed it, I probably would never have said that. But I remember being in a situation when I was in a boxing match and um, I was put in with somebody that was, I mean, much larger than I was. And for the first time, I, I, I am I'm called Floyd after Floyd Patterson. I boxed since I was a child. But I was thrown into a, a match with a combined services super heavyweight champion. And this guy was at least three stone heavier than me, unbeaten. All of the things that came from it. I'm unbeaten as well, but this guy looks like he's on a different level. And um, I remember thinking, actually, my world sort of changed and I was getting scared. Um, but I never said I was scared. But luckily, my coach came across and said, what's, what's the matter, Floyd? And I said, it's going to be a tough night. And he said, and all he did, was, which was great, was he got me to realize that there's nothing wrong with being scared. This is a tough match. Why would you not be scared? It's, a, it's illogical not to be scared. But what are you going to do about this, Floyd? What, what are we going to do? And what I love about it is the minute you go, I'm scared, I need some help. It's out of you. So it's not emotionally tagged anymore. Once it's inside you, as you know, from neuroscience perspective, now I've got chemicals racing around. I've got testosterone going up or down. I've got cortisol going up or down. I know that, but I know that's how the mind works. I know that's how my body works. So that's self-awareness and then going, right. So what is, so now put the problem on the table. What are the facts? And that transforms the decision straight away. Plus I need some help. Give me some advice. And then all of a sudden, that problem's gone within very a very short space of time. The the issue of it, it does not mean to say it's not a big problem. It's not mean to say I've not got loads of different difficult decisions, but I'm not emotionally tagged. And what that then does, it allows you to make the, the best decisions in that moment in time. Of course, that's all you can do. And yep. it just allows you to and then start to enhance your your well-being. And let, we, we can have like great discussions on well-being because for me, stress, anxiety, worry – one affects the mind, one affects the body, one affects the both. They're realities of life for the majority of us. Okay, that's that's going to happen. So the key is the, the vast structure falls within those categories that this is life and it happens that way when we're going on a big, long journey. There's obviously medical illnesses and there's other things that come on to the end of that. But in this space, with the right psychological and physiological resources, Human beings can deal with anything. And we see it all the time, children, adults, old people. If you can have those and realize that this phenomenal machine is a supercomputer, ask it small questions, you get tiny answers. Ask it big questions, you get, you get phenomenal answers. The key is it, you just need to realize you need to train it and understand it in the same way as any other skill set. 
It is the center of everything you're going to do. And when you realize how aspects of it work, so when I'm scared, my reptilian brain's going to come alive. But I know that, so this is what's going to happen. My heart rate will go up. I'll either want to run away or I'll want to fight or I'll want to remain frozen. I love my reptilian brain. But what I don't allow it to do is take control because now I can go, oh, I'm a bit scared. And I'll just smile straight away. Well, that's interesting. So now I can think, what are you going to do about it, Floyd? So what are the things you have got? What help do you need? And so that vulnerability, I just look and go, I am a human being. I am not the perfect leader. So I tell you that on day one. I get scared. I'm really good at some stuff. I need help in other areas. The minute you've done that, well, you've got to be in a pretty good space because now we can work together. You don't, I'm not trying to pretend to be something I'm not. And also, and the other key one here is for me is, the, is understanding what our biggest fear is. And when I usually ask that question, what's our biggest fear? And I hope your listeners will go, if I said, what is your biggest fear? The first word is failure. And I go, why would that be a, the biggest fear when you're going to make a load of mistakes? I've got another thousand mistakes to make in my life at least. So therefore, if I can remove the fear of failure and realize I just made a mistake, I'm going to learn and get better incrementally. I'm not bothered what people think about me anymore. I'm not trying to impress anybody else. What I'm trying to do is be incrementally better every week. I like competition, so I don't mind looking to get ahead. That's fine. But all I am trying to do is really be better than I was last week. And that's transformational. All of a sudden, I think when you're talking about, again, anxiety, and all of a sudden you can just go, ah, Let's just look at this for what it really is. I think that gives you a massive edge in, in performance. And it takes a lot of the pressure off as well. It's funny because even for me doing this podcast, I was like, oh God, this is a bit, I'm putting myself out there a little bit. Um, what if it's a failure? I'm going to have to put like content out and someone's going to be listening to it and go, God, he's talking through his ass. But, you know, I've kind of, you know, maybe it's because I've gotten older. I'm like, of course, someone, they may think that, but, you know, they don't have to listen. <laughs> They can, they can find something else. And, and if it go, you know, but you got to put your best foot forward. And, and I, I've certainly, you learn it with time. I think Floyd, you get, you know, when you're younger, you're a little bit more, oh, I'm worried about failure. What are people going to say? You know, and you, yeah, but I don't know if something's happened to me as I've gotten older, I don't worry about it as much. I just think it's great to get it into children as early as you possibly yes. can. I'll give you a quick example. Um, when I am um, with audiences, what I sometimes do just to spark them up is I'll bring a chair out to the front and I slam it down on the floor. And I go, how mentally resilient are you? And I'll say to the audience, in a minute, I'm going to put one of you in this chair, but I'm going to make it unbelievably difficult for you. I'm going to put you under enormous pressure. I want to see how you perform in front of your peer group when you're completely taken out of your comfort zone. And of course, the room goes deathly silent. And then I'll smile and go, it's quiet, what you're thinking about, to get them to understand what the voice is doing inside their head. When I do that with children from the ages, in fact, from the ages of five to about 14, I do the same thing. I, literally, I do exactly the same thing. How many hands do you think go up to sit in that chair before I've even finished? finished? At least half of wow. them. At least half. Wow. And when I ask a child, what are you thinking about? What they say is they'll say, I'm a bit scared, but I'm willing to give it a go. I'm normally not confident in these situations, but you know what? Today, I think I'll just see how I can perform. And it's phenomenal. I mean, I can honestly, it never changes. I've done this with tens of thousands of children. It does not change. And I go, why would you lose that? If we give that now to the children and go, right, now let's look at it. Let's give them the tools. That's what your heart rate's doing. Let's let them to understand about the neuroscience. You'll have a massively different conversation. And then all of a sudden, 
we will take that into, I just think it'll just help us have that lessen the angst when you're in your early 20s. Yes. And it's, it's, um, I'm really glad you brought that up because, uh, I mean, the kids, uh, the school side of things really interest me, particularly in, you know, I, I looked through some of the case studies of ones you've done. I saw one of the schools, I think you, um, the school came to you to raise aspirations of kids in a small rural school. And I just thought that's fascinating. How, how great that that school went, we want to raise the aspiration of our kids and we're going to get someone like Floyd to come in and help us with that. I, I just think is it more schools need to do that. I wish, I mean, I went to a great school and they were great at getting us to be aspirational and everything, but I never heard of a training program like yours and I wish there had been, but it, you you must just love the different experience of the, of working with kids versus the big corporates, but it sounds like you, the model works for all, but yeah, the kids bit must be just fascinating and, and fantastically um, energizing. It's phenomenal. All my team, in fact, I've got a, a whole team that, that just love to go into schools. And because of that, I mean, you're, you're watching children. What, what's great about it, because unfortunately, schools are falling into the trap of doing a lot of um, just knowledge just knowledge, 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 without making that knowledge come alive because they're busy and also their KPI, classic KPIs. Um, we need to have this amount of people passing at this level. And what's interesting, I was with a, a group um, probably only a month ago and with the year six group. And so the year six, which which is, as your listeners probably may know, it's uh, about nine to 11, say that, that bracket. And I went through this with the team and the kids were coming up with things, I mean, phenomenal things, all these children. And it's not just being footballers or sports stars. It is literally right away from forensic anthropologists, right away. And these are in disadvantaged areas as well. I mean, honestly, it's just always amazes me. And a teacher just said, why do I not know that? Why do I not know what these children want to do in the way you've just got them, got them to think about it? Because all I'm doing is, again, is asking the question, but showing them some inspirational things for them to go, do you know what? This is what I want to do. And of course, then they come alive. And then I said, that's how you make knowledge make sense. If I, if you, if you somebody says, I want to be an astronaut, the first thing I say is, that's wonderful. I love that. Draw it for me. Show me what it looks like. Get them to really mm. visualize being in NASA. And then we can go, what do we think we need to get there? Now, I don't have to say, you're going to need five A to Cs. You need to go to do your A-levels, you're going to university because the research will do that for them. And they, then we can work together and go, I can help you get those qualifications. It's a different conversation straight away, isn't it? Instead of me saying, I'm just going to give you all this stuff. It's a completely different conversation. It's great. It's, it's so inspiring. Now we're coming towards the end and I just wanted to ask you two other questions quick questions. Um, obviously we're better at work and a lot of my aim with the podcast is to give people simple things they can do tomorrow to be better at work or tools, that kind of thing. Um, and all in a simply simple to understand way. You probably know now from chatting to me for the last little while, I don't like to use big words or anything like that. Just keep it simple. I read somewhere that you, oh no, I might've heard you say this on a podcast. You said you love to study what the best teams people do differently and uh, teams, people, organizations do differently. And based on your insights, what do you recommend is one thing our listeners could do tomorrow to get really focused on creating a better life for themselves? Well-being. It's, it's, this is about physical fitness, look health. The first number one priority for me would be your health, being wow. energized, what the Dalai Lama calls wise selfishness. It would be about making sure you're, you're 
you're in a good space in five areas, sleep, eight hours of sleep a night. It would be about hydration, making sure that you're hydrated. It would be about must get a good diet. Into me. It would be about movement. Yeah, definitely. That's well done. You see me drinking, I hope, all the way through. Um, that, so before you even get up in the morning, if you just take, if you imagine that your brain is um, 75% water, your blood is 83%, all major organs are um, over 70% water, just by drinking, your energy, mood, concentration goes up. So the fundamental start point is always you. Um, if you have five hours sleep a night, you'll eat 22% more calories the next day. Wow. Last drink of caffeine, it's in your system for 10 hours. Therefore, you won't get to deep levels of sleep if you drink it late in the evening. So some fundamental, simple things, movement, just walking 25 minutes a day, we're designed to move. And the fifth one is mindfulness. So that is about relaxing, taking time out to think, to calm the mind. So I think you've got to realize that health, and you only realize it really when you lose it, sadly, when you lose your health, so I've had 12 operations. I've got four titanium plates in my jaw, two in my legs. Health is massively important. In fact, nothing else matters. So therefore, preempt it. So fundamentally, first of all, is health. My second one to add to that, because that's really important, for, just make sure you're in a good space because then you yeah. can make good decisions, yeah. is you, your purpose. Really think about where do I actually want to be in the next three, five, or 10 years? Ask what makes you come alive. And what I'll do is I'll send you some things and thoughts that you people can look at to identify actually what is going to drive me to, to the best, highest levels. What do I want to do? And really explore that from a personal and professional perspective. Life is not all professional. What do we really want to do in life? I love I love those two tips and we'll definitely um, share those on the website as well um, once we get them from you. That that. So kind of you, Floyd. Thank you very much for um, for that. And um, I need to get eight hours sleep. I think I'm about six and a half. Uh, so I'm going to improve that and drink some more water as well. Now, we finish all interviews with the following question. Can you recall the best advice you received that made you better at work? Yeah, I can actually. Um, it was about it, uh, the best advice I ever got was from a phenomenal mentor who was actually a personal friend of mine. Uh, but he called me in. Uh, and what it was, it was about um, about performance and, and two things. He said, Floyd, you're really good at doing lots of action stuff and the warrior. You've got to be a strategist. Far too often you're on the wrong milestone because you've just set off without thinking. Mm -hmm. And most of that time you're by yourself because you've not brought people with you. Mm. He also then said, which was a nice balance to it, was your standards are really high, Floyd. You You have really high standards. Not everybody um, wants to be at that level. What you have to look at is realizing that whilst always pursue excellence, because yeah. that's one of the drivers of you, remembering what's good enough. And actually what I love is, is that's really, really important. I love performance and I try and work really hard to be as good as I can get, but I know what good is. I know what really good is and that's all you need to hit. Anything else is a plus, but let's go. That's the minimum level we need. And I think for me, those two pieces of advice were transformational because what it allowed me to do was realize I've got to take people with me. So I have loads of wonderful ideas and, and I'm quite happy moving and doing those things myself, but I never, ever get there without my team. And now I love bouncing things off people really quickly and having a good, and I'm ruthless on strategy. I'm really good at that. I'm, I'm much better. I still don't do it as well as I could do, but I'm much, much better. And that's helped me enormously. 
it's kind of freaky because um, I obviously never got to speak to you before today, but I feel like we're like uh, very alike and it's kind of weird. Um, you're just probably a more uh, adventurous, better looking version of me. Thank you so much, Floyd. That was so, so good. Um, now, for our listeners, if you want to learn even more about Floyd and his amazing Compass for Life, then check out um, compassforlife.co.uk. You'll also find details on his great book, The Warrior, The Strategist and You, plus some fantastic information on the Compass for Life programs uh, that uh, that are available, Floyd, for organizations, education, sports teams, etc., to achieve their vision. I think uh, they're fantastic. So if anyone wants information, on that. It is on compassforlife.co.uk. Thank you so much, Floyd. We really appreciate your time and thank you for getting up early there in London. Uh, much, much appreciated. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Annette, hello again. What a fantastic conversation you both had. I loved it. My God, I just took so much from Floyd. Like, you know, I loved his whole vision that, you know, if you're not following your passion in life, well, he would question that, right? And and I mean, look, I know it's easier said than done. For some people, they may not be able to follow their passion just for financial reasons, etc. But I thought it was a great way to get us thinking that, you know, it's really important to follow your passion. And I loved his compass for life. The key takeaways for me were that, the power of the of the compass, paying attention to what lights you up on your journey. The third one was around ensuring that people in your teams have the right skill sets. And when you yourself, when you start off, that you've, you're set up for success by getting the right training, but then you as a leader or your leader should be then able to move into coaching mode so that they can step back from the day-to-day to to work on the strategy, to be able to be creative and and think and lead and direct because they're not having to dive into the day-to-day. I love that as 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 a third insight from that. Thank you, Annette, for those. I have to say I loved the way he answered that final question for me on what were things that he would advise our people, teams, whatever to do tomorrow, what's the first move they should make to um, really reach their North Star? And he said, which I was surprised about, he said, get eight hours of sleep, which I fail on. He said, hydrate. He said, move and have a balanced diet. Come on, simple things. So now it is time for our listener's question. It's come up from about six or seven people. Crux of the problem is person's feeling very stuck in their job. They weren't liking the company they're working on. COVID was making it even more difficult. They had no energy. They feel like they are totally in a no-win situation. They are completely stuck. They don't know what to do. Just really feel for this person and what they're going through and that feeling of, I'm stuck. Three simple things to get started with here, Kahal, and that would be firstly, most importantly, that check-in on mental health. So is this, you know, how are you really doing? Do you need to talk to a counsellor and, and are you okay? And, and if it's, you know, once you've got through, no, look, actually, my mental health is okay. I'm just blah. I'm just blah. I feel stuck in this job and I want to make a change and I I don't know how to start. From there, it's the advice from Floyd. 
start with your own day plan and getting your energy right. So look at looking at sleep, hydration, balanced diet and movement, getting all of those underway and then moving into your day plan. So an intention for the day. The next part, and again from Floyd, is noticing what you light up about. Paying attention each day onto what parts of your job do you love and feel energized by, and then what parts of other people's jobs are you are appealing to you or you're a little bit envious of and pay attention to that. And then I think the third thing is is around that connection. So start small with connections and reaching out to people who have jobs or in companies that appeal to you that light you up and see if you just catch up for a coffee or a Zoom to just ask for some advice. It often leads somewhere. Those conversations lead somewhere and help you get closer to taking those actions to either help yourself be unstuck in the job and find what appealed to you about that job in the first place or make some changes in that culture that are going to re-engage you or there's, you know, you're, you're finding your path forward. I feel for you. It is not easy when you feel very stuck in your job. It can feel like you're just trapped. But honestly, it will get better. Try to do one thing a day that moves you forward. And Nate, you often hear me say this, right? What's the one move I can make today to make me feel unstuck. So that's where I would say to this particular listener and um and we hope that helps you and of course if if you need any other help of course talk to your professionals go to counseling um you know they have probably even better advice than we have we're not trained counselors but we certainly have seen a lot of this happen. That is it for this episode thank you so much Annette as always and of course we'll be back soon with lots more on Better at Work thanks Annette thanks so much Cahal talk to you soon thank you for listening to Better at Work with me Cahal Quinlan if you enjoyed this episode please tell your friends and rate review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.